Hey, Hi Rock. My name's Megan, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be with you today. Quick question. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? I ask because there's this online trend where women are asking the men in their lives how often they think about the Roman Empire. It's gone viral because apparently men think about Rome a lot. <laughs> some said six times a year, some were two to three times a week, and some even said once a day. I was shocked to hear about this because, listen, I think about the Roman Empire a lot, but mostly it's because it's part of my job. A huge chunk of the Bible takes place during the Roman Empire. And while I would love it if more people were reading the Bible in light of the Roman Empire, I haven't found that to be very normal. So why is it then? In a forum on Reddit, some people said that they think about Rome because Rome seemed to have it all prosperity, military power, strength. They had security in the moment, but we realized that that was short-sighted security. <laughs> they made choices for security that couldn't hold. They couldn't understand how the choices that they made were going to have implications for the future. Their security was fleeting. Even the Barbie movie has been wrestling with the fragility of security. Barbie and Ken's journey into the real world has them wrestling with the idea that we're drawn to relationships and ideas that can create immediate security for us without considering the long-term implications. And I don't think that seeking security is a new phenomenon, right? It's, it's not just Barbie. <laughs> we see it all through scripture. Abram was fearful of being killed, so he lied to Pharaoh about being married to Sarai to gain passage. Jacob's sons were fearful of their younger brother Joseph being in charge of them someday, and so they sold him as a slave, stopping just short of killing him. We each have fears that we try to save ourselves from by manufacturing security. I can be fearful, like Joseph's brothers, that someone else being in charge is going to hurt me. Stuff happened in my teenage years that made me feel like I couldn't trust adults. I had to take care of myself and anyone else around me that was weaker. I saved myself by making sure I could be independent. I would be secure if I could be strong. Honestly, it wasn't all awful. I could get ahead and I would take charge. I succeeded in school and work. But as I got older, I realized that I was on edge a lot. I had trouble really letting people in, even my husband. But if the alternative was letting my guard down and being hurt or disappointed by people all over again, it was not worth it. <laughs> I could create my own security by being strong and self-sufficient. What about you? Can you be honest about the things you're fearful of? The things that you try to do to create security? The ways you try to save yourself? For some of you, perhaps you're fearful that you're nothing more than your work ethic. So you create security by making the most of every second. You work hard and you sacrifice a lot for your job and you maximize your potential constantly. For some of you, you're fearful, you're fearful of not having enough someday. Maybe you grew up in poverty or you saw your parents sacrifice everything to give you a secure financial future. You make sure that you and your family never has to worry about anything. In fact, you have more than enough. There's a laundry list of fears that impact each of us. And whatever they are, we tend to view security as not having to worry about those fears anymore. We'll do whatever we need to for security. We live differently to be saved from our fears. It's also easy when that happens to dismiss an invitation from God that could take away that security. Risk career security to follow Jesus? 
oh, God wouldn't want that for me. <laughs> or maybe God's asking you to give more generously. Yeah, I'll just see how the year finishes out, and if I can, I'll give then. God will be fine with that. Risk my independence and my strength by letting go of control? <laughs> you know, God's wired me this way, and I'm probably doing the most for God if I keep control. But, friends, the core reason that we gather as a church every week is because we are all trying to follow the way of Jesus, who we've just said is God's only Son, our Lord. We're saying that there is something about Jesus that defines what security looks like. We believe that Christ is the way and the truth and the life, not our status or our wealth or our independence. Like this beam that hangs over the chapel of the Bible camp that I grew up in, we believe that only Jesus saves. But as we continue in the Apostles' Creed today, we're going to wrestle with what it means that the way of Jesus leads to suffering and death. Where's the security in that? Because while many of us may believe with our heads or even our hearts that Jesus' suffering and death was significant, we can be happy to leave all of that to him. I'm going to ask us today, though, does Jesus' suffering and death change anything about the way that we live? Because, friends, we need to move beyond belief and into a life that is lived differently because Jesus suffered and died. That as we follow this Christ, we might be met with an invitation to follow him there too, even if it risks what we cling to for security. Today's text journeys with Jesus and a variety of others as he makes his way from the garden to the tomb after his crucifixion. I'll be moving through John 18 and 19, so if you'd like, get your Bibles out to follow with me or take time to read this later for yourself. We'll examine how three folks tried to obtain their own security and how they responded when Jesus' lordship required risking the things that they relied on. In John 18, we see Peter, the disciple that since chapter 1 has immediately followed Jesus. And, and here, he responds violently during Jesus' arrest. Peter's relationship with Jesus is defined by loyalty to Jesus, the king who will save. Because he believes so strongly that Jesus is Lord, he consistently goes above and beyond to prove his loyalty to this king. He was a nobody. Why would a king care about him? I imagine the security of that relationship was really tenuous for Peter, and he wanted to make sure that it was solid. He wanted a king that was looking out for him. He was going to be loyal to that king. And so when Jesus bends to wash his feet, Peter can't imagine that. How could Jesus ever wash his feet? He respects Jesus so much. And then when Jesus is arrested, he draws his sword. He wants Jesus to know that he'll fight for him. Don't we want Jesus to know that we're loyal too? That if Jesus needs defending, we'll be there ready to fight? But Jesus rebukes him. Peter, put your sword away. <laughs> Don't you know that I am choosing to go with them? It turns out that this isn't the loyalty that Jesus needed. He didn't need defending. He needed someone to walk with him in the work he was meant to do. Jesus was knowingly walking a path towards death, but this wasn't the vision that Peter had for his king. So he follows to see what happens, but his loyalty runs out. This isn't this king. Why would he be loyal to him? Three times Peter denies Jesus. Are you the one? Are you one of his? Even though it might cause you to walk towards death too, to lose your security? No, no, 
No, I am not. Peter's loyalty to a king that didn't turn out to be who we thought he was, that loyalty couldn't save him. And I think it's easy to bag on Peter for his fickle nature, but isn't he acting like most of us would? We're happy to call Jesus Lord when it means that we're cared for and when we understand what Jesus asks us to do. But when following Jesus means that our loyalty has to extend beyond our security, security means that Jesus will lead us out of suffering, right? Not back into it. It's hard to follow Jesus there. I suspect that Peter's response is one that we've all had. But a loyalty to Jesus who keeps us comfortable isn't going to last. Because Jesus suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. And sometimes following him might lead us there too. The next characters that we interact with are the religious leaders. Their security comes from their rules. They have a clear sense of right and wrong, and they act accordingly. They know where they stand in their relationship to God and to the world around them. The religious leaders in this text get a bad rap, but I bet most of us have more in common with them than we'd care to admit. We might not all be leaders in the church, but if we're Christians, we're known for following Jesus. We don't want to be legalists, but we like being known for doing what is right. We like to make sense of what it means to follow Jesus. We, we like having a clear set of rules that we follow. It helps us stay safe, and it helps keep our world in order. In the eyes of these religious people, Jesus was completely indifferent to the rules. <laughs> he healed on the Sabbath, and to make matters worse, he was saying he was equal to God. This went against everything that they knew. There was only one God, and he was not Jesus. Even if Jesus was doing miraculous works in God's name and bringing many people to faith in God, he was going against their rules. It was causing instability in their religious system. Encountering Christ and responding with Christ would have required the religious folks to set aside their rules and to participate in God's work. They would have had to follow Jesus out of their comfort zone, out of their security. But they, they just couldn't do it. And their fears compounded. Not just that Jesus was risking their relationship with God, but that Jesus was risking their fragile relationship with the Roman Empire, too. Their rules helped them stay, stay, stay safe in Rome's ecosystem. Don't cause nothing, there won't be nothing, right? <laughs> but Jesus' popularity was growing, and it might give Caesar a reason to blot out all of the Jewish people if they thought that he was a real threat. Because they followed the rules, the high priest, Caiaphas, said that it would be better for one man to die than for the whole nation to be destroyed. As Jesus goes from the garden to go before Pilate, because they followed the rules, the religious folks did not go into the courts. They hung out outside, and Pilate came to them. They were in the middle of preparing to celebrate Passover, where they remembered how God had taken them out of slavery. And they would sing this song, Besides God, they had no Redeemer, no Savior, no King. Going inside the courts would have been acknowledging Caesar's lordship, would have been breaking their rules, and not part of their preparation for Passover. Their rules also make them tell Pilate that they can't execute Jesus themselves. So, so Pilate, you go ahead and try him. You go ahead and execute him. But the day goes on and on, and, and Pilate can't condemn him under Roman law. He tries to offer the religious leaders deals. He says, I could just beat Jesus. Maybe that's enough. 
He tries to give Jesus back to them. Let them deal with him under their own law. Go ahead, you crucify your king if he's breaking your law. I have nothing against him. And then, of course, <laughs> because they're keeping their rules, the religious leaders tell him that Jesus is not their king. They have no king but Caesar. These leaders found their security in their rules, in doing what was right. And in the end, they broke their rules when it threatened their security. Their rules could not save them. Perhaps we're content to follow Jesus when that means confirming the rules that we use to navigate the world. But when Jesus confronted the religious rulers, it magnified the fact that the world is complicated and living in it can often be full of more shades of gray than we'd like. It's part of the reality of not seeing with God's eyes. We can only see a part of what it means to do God's will. And for the folks in our text, and perhaps for us, following Jesus will mean stepping beyond our rules towards God's greater purposes. And that can feel like we are stepping towards death. The next person's story that we'll wrestle with is Pilate's. He has found his security through achievement. He's the most powerful person in the region, and he's worked hard to secure this position. He's only accountable to Rome. His job is like they rolled the military, financial, and ju judiciary powers of our state into one person's care. Yeah, he's kind of a big deal. Maybe you relate to Pilate. You've worked hard to get where you are. You try to do your job faithfully, and you balance the opinions and needs of everyone who is under you in your organization. But still, there's a lot of pressure on you to keep things running smoothly. But who knows if you'll get canceled or replaced tomorrow. So yeah, your achievement provides your security, but you can never quite rest easy. For an important man, dealing with someone like Jesus might have just been annoying. <laughs> but his subjects filed charges and he wants to faithfully do his job, so he had to deal with it. Even as he questioned Jesus, though, he doesn't think Jesus is a threat. But he does know that Jesus is innocent. He says so three times. But Pilate's achievement and his security in his achievement keeps getting in the way of him acting on the truth. He wants to try and keep his constituents happy, but he doesn't want this innocent man's blood on his hands. So he offers all of the alternative solutions. Release him? Not good enough? Okay, how about a beating? No, still not enough? Fine, you crucify him then. But the leaders reply, just like we've heard, that because Jesus claims to be God's son, he must die. The text tells us that Pilate is afraid of this claim. He asks Jesus, where are you from? Don't you know I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And as Pilate encounters Jesus, he has this chance to follow him, to let go of finding security in his achievement, to let go of that fear, and instead lead from a place of real power that comes from operating out of the truth. But that would have been costly for Pilate. He would have had an uprising on his hands. That wouldn't look good to Rome. That might cost him his job, his paycheck, and his positional authority. All of his security. And the religious leaders drive the final nail into the coffin. Anyone who supports Jesus is no friend of Caesar. Without Caesar, there's no future promotions. Nowhere for his ambition to go. So when the most powerful man in the room is faced with the choice of achievement or truth, he chooses achievement 
and proves that he is actually powerless to do what is true. He can't bow to God while keeping everything that he's achieved. His achievement could not save him. And if that was the whole story of this road to the cross, it would be a sad state for the human condition. Peter's story highlighted his loyalty. The religious leader's story highlighted their rules. Pilate's story highlighted his achievements. My story often highlights my independence and my strength. Maybe yours highlights financial success or a strong family or a capable body or mind. None of those things are bad. In fact, they can be beautiful blessings from God. But in our text today, we saw how these folks relied on them for the security. And in pursuing their own security, every one of them gave away the thing they valued most. That would be hopeless if it was the whole story. But there was another character at work from the beginning on the road to the cross and in our lives today. It's God. The rest of the story is about what provides actual security and is the anchor for the whole creed that we profess together. God's story is the story of giving up whatever is necessary for our security. It started in the beginning. Christ was present with God in the beginning. Through Christ, the whole world was made. It was a world created in love for loving relationships between God and creation. And not the sort of love that gives you butterflies from a first date, but the love that gives and receives in mutuality. The sort that is patient and kind, that isn't jealous or arrogant. It's the sort of love that holds justice and truth together for everyone. We can't love this way without a sense of security. But we find it hard to trust that God or anyone else would love us this way. Why would God want a relationship with us like that? Could the God who created us actually love us? It's hard enough for us to love ourselves. We know how messy and imperfect we are. So we find it easier to reject God's offer of love. We refuse to offer it to others that same way. We'd rather just keep fumbling in the darkness to try and save ourselves than actually live as though God's great love was true. And so the true light of the world came in, into the confusing and painful mess of this darkness of our world to try to help show us what it might look like to be in this loving relationship with God and each other. Jesus gave up the privileges of being with God to be with us. This act of love is the only real source of security. And he spent years showing us what living out that great love looks like. The things that we cling to for security, Jesus gave away. And he commanded his followers to do so as well. His time, his energy, his finances, his power, his privilege, his position, all of the markers of false security that we cling to out of fear, Jesus gave away. On the night when he was betrayed by his friends, Jesus gave them a precursor to what he's going to do. That real security in God's love looks like giving up our lives. For each other. And then he goes to the cross to live what he believes. Jesus gives up his life to convey God's love to the world that hated him. The cross was not the end in itself. God didn't want Jesus to die. But God did want the world that was so far removed from him to believe that we can have real life. So God gave up his only son to show us how much we can trust that God really loves us. 
The love that was communicated through the cross is meant to evoke the faith that brings real life today. It clears away the fear from our faith and asks us to let go of the things we cling to instead of trusting the God who will never leave us or forsake us. This is why we've been talking about these statements, this, these statements being beyond belief. Because we say with our mouths that Jesus suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. But do we follow Jesus on the path to life that will feel like suffering and death? Letting go of the things we've clung to for security instead of God will be hard. It's disorienting and can evoke feelings like shame, anger, and grief. It can result in a loss of power, privilege, certainty, and money. But remember, those things will always fail you. As I've walked with Jesus, I've realized that I've had to stop looking to my own independence for my security. I was giving up everything in order to hold on to it, and it always failed. I've tried to put practices and people in my life who will remind me of the way that Jesus is giving up his, himself for me, and so I can give up my independence and control. I found that it's a daily, sometimes hourly struggle that feels like I'm walking towards death. But on the other side, I have found real freedom in life. Practically, I have to confess what I'm looking for, for security instead of God's love. I would start my day by confessing my tendencies toward control and self-sufficiency. I would ask that God would remind me that salvation is God's alone and that God wants life for me. Once that practice of just confessing every day felt more normal, I would start to notice where God was pointing out all the places I lived like self-sufficiency was my salvation. The choices that I would make to be perceived as strong, the ways that I kept other people at arm's length. This is what praying constantly can look like, trying to listen to God's invitations throughout the day, even in the minutia. Over time, I've developed new responses when I feel myself shutting down or shutting people out. I allow myself to cry, <laughs> or I tell people that I need help. Vulnerability used to be uncomfortable, but now I find more freedom through it. It might make other people more uncomfortable, though. <laughs> I try to be honest when I'm betrayed, and I try to remain curious about their side of the story instead of continuing to shut them out. I try to give up control when I feel the instinct to double down by praying the prayer, God is God and I am not. It reminds me that everything we have in our belongs to God, who loves us and gave up everything for us. This also allows me to use my strength for God's purposes. Our privilege, our power, money, whatever, they're not inherently awful. But when they aren't being used in and from God's love, they can be. Now, when I operate from a place of trusting God, I can use my strength to stand up when no one else will. I can speak truth to power. Out of a security in Christ, I can use the gifts that God's given me for good instead of letting them become stumbling blocks that starve me of the security I actually need. What do you cling to for salvation? Is it your money, your job, your family? Maybe you're like Peter, the religious leaders or Pilate. You cling to loyalty or rules or achievement. In Jesus' final prayer before he goes to his death, he prays that the world might know the depths of God's love because of his sacrifice. And isn't that our hope too, church? That our lives would be so transformed by God's love that others might want to know him too? So I'd invite you to start really living like Jesus this week. Let go of those other things that you rely on for security and salvation. Start by being with, honest with God and yourself about the things you cling to for security instead of the self-giving love of God 
Remember, these aren't necessarily bad things, but when we cling to them instead of God's love, we'll miss Christ's invitation to life. Then start every day this week repenting of that false place of security. See if you become aware of how often you go to that thing instead of God. Repent in the moment and turn back to God. Give up the very thing that you hold to for dear life and hold tight to the source of life. We're going to start by practicing confession together now. Take some time in silence to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the things that you're holding on to instead of the self-giving love of God. Because in becoming one of us, God became poor so we could receive the riches of mercy. In coming to us, God took on our death so we could be made alive together with Christ. So come, offer your confessions, knowing that by grace you have been saved.